Good afternoon and welcome to the City View Podcast. I'm Andy Sylvester, editor here at City. I am fresh from an Easter break spent predominantly at the Oval. I do hope you all had an equally enjoyable few days off. Back to the grindstone we are, though. In a few minutes, I'll be joined by Michael Hewson, Chief Markets Analyst at CMC Markets. We'll look through the latest IMF forecasts, none of which paint a particularly jolly picture for the future of the UK economy, at least in the near and medium term. Um, but for now, I'm joined by Nicholas Earle, our NG correspondent. Bits and pieces in the corporate news happening today, Nick, but nothing bigger than energy. I feel like something of a stat record, even after Easter. Um, energy bosses up in Parliament today, one of whom was was Bulbs Hayden Wood, who we'll come back to in a minute. But for those companies that are still in business on their own two feet rather than the taxpayers, um, some pretty dire warnings of what's to come. Yeah, that's right. Um, Eon's chief executive, uh, Michael Lewis, is the one that's going to be a severe impact uh, this October. And he's actually estimating a 50% increase in the overall debt on his books from customer bills, which is a, a seismic rise, of course. And you also had similar gloomy tidings from Centrica, who have said that 10% of their customers are already late in their payments. Um, and uh, to Capital, we had EDF's boss, who said that um, he ex- estimates £1.12 being spent on energy bills by the most poorest users will go to one pound in six this october that's going to be pretty grim um very grim indeed for the economic recovery of the uk um some of them are calling for a bit of a shift in government policy um dangerous to ask for not quite be a bailout but pretty close to a bailout for the energy companies albeit paid to ordinary Brits, um, it does expose them at some point to a windfall tax, right? Because we've got this slightly weird world where you've got Shell and others being currently slammed for um, making huge amounts of money off commodity pricing booms, energy companies desperate for cash. Um, You could see a world in which meddling politicians decided to meet those two together. Anyway, we'll park that for now. Um, Why don't we talk quickly about Bulb's Hayden Wood, the former CEO, well, still the CEO of Bulb. So just remind us before we talk about what Hayden said today, remind us about the sort of special circumstances of Bulb's collapse, because there's been more than 20 energy suppliers that have that have gone, most of them have just folded their customers, moved on to the supplier of last resort scheme, which in theory at least means, you know, if you turn your kettle on under one energy provider, by the time it finishes, it's still, you know, a new provider, but your kettle still boils. Slightly different vibe for Bulb. Yeah, so Bulb were in what's called a special administration process, which essentially means that they are in the in the public hands, um, at least at least for the time being. Uh, this happened last November because basically they're too big to go through the supply of last resort process with 1.7 million uh, customers, and very much in that sort of too big to fail mantra, they have been given. Uh, Office of Budget Responsibility estimates £2.2 billion over the past five months to keep them over on government life support, essentially. Still operating as an energy firm, but at the uh, expense of the taxpayer on the calculation that if they just collapsed into obscurity, it'd be more expensive and more painful mm. for, for the industry to recoup. And um, part of that continued functioning is that uh, Mr. Wood is uh, continuing to have his salary, in this case, £250,000 per year, um, paid for by uh, the taxpayers. Yeah, it's a, it was a pretty awkward appearance in front of the select committee today when he was forced to admit that, but forced to admit it, he should have been. There aren't many failed companies where the CEO still walks away with two hundred and fifty grand a year, even in difficult circumstances. Um, people, I imagine, peeved. Um, was there any sign that 
the sort of special administration might come to an end because presumably Bulb are not going to be able to get to a point where, you know, in six months' time they say, actually, it turns out we've got the we've worked out how we can do this and, and we're back in business. Um Presumably it will be sold or taken over at some point, but was there any sign of that today? So the administrators remain very tight-lipped over Bob's future, and um, he wasn't able to give any definitive answers. The latest sort of reports suggest that there's a good chance that Bob's customers could be split up, mm. essentially sold off piece by piece, rather than try to sell off in one chunk. But it wouldn't be a surprise if it ends up being like Northern Rail for an extended period of yeah. time before someone actually buys it. Because after all, it's pretty expensive business right now onboarding new suppliers. It's worth remembering, of course, that from the 28 suppliers since last September who have entered supply of last resort process, Ofgem has given them £1.8 billion of public money to compensate them for the various costs of taking them on. Mm. So, you know, I can understand why there's not been much movement when it comes to Bulb and Taneo and Interpath Advisory have both been pretty tight-lipped over it. Yeah, I can imagine they would be. We shall wait and see. As you say, probably an interesting market to be taking on that many suppliers. Nicholas L, thanks for joining us. Um, we'll move straight on to discussing the economy, which is, I'm afraid, equally bad news. Um, although perhaps um, one which... There's a little more light on um, than there was a few days ago. New IMF forecasts out today. Um, we'll discuss that and plenty more with Michael Hewson, Chief Markets Analyst at CMC Markets. Michael joins us every fortnight and he joins me again today. Michael, always a pleasure to have you. Yes, uh, good afternoon, Andy. We haven't necessarily come back to particularly good news. Um, IMF forecasts out just a few minutes before we're speaking. Um, downgrades across the board pretty much across the global economy. Mm. But let's start with the UK, um, because some fairly dramatic downgrades, I suppose, from one perspective, at least. Yes, indeed. I mean, I think the picture for the UK economy is probably not as bleak as I would have expected it to be. Um, the IMF cut the forecast from 4.7% to 3.7%. But I think they're expecting some real pain to really kick in. Next year, they've cut the growth forecast there to 1.2%, which is the worst in the G7. Now, I have my concerns about the predictability of that number, given, obviously, the reliance of countries like Germany um, and their reliance on Russian oil and gas, but also um, on Chinese demand. But parking that to one <laughs> side, the IMF have said that because of the UK economy's very much services-based architecture, um, the fact of the matter is rising energy prices is likely to crimp consumer spending next year and probably less so this year. I mean, whatever your reasonings behind the rationale for the IMF forecast, ultimately it does paint a fairly bleak picture, whether you believe their forecasts or the World Bank. Yeah, indeed. I mean, yeah, exactly. Neither of them particularly cheering. I think, mm. why don't we just zoom in a bit on that point about about whether the UK will be the worst um, performing G7 economy next year, because again, forecasts are forecasts, but it does look as a, as you said there, like on the one hand, you've got yes, inflation, energy price, etc., going to eat away at a consumer-based economy, but there are other economies significantly more exposed to what we will, for the sake of a euphemism, called geopolitical troubles. Right? Absolutely. I mean, you know, I, I mentioned earlier that um, obviously Germany is very, very exposed to energy prices and gets 50% of its oil and gas from Russia. And they are coming under increasing pressure from other countries to stop their consumption of oil and gas, um, particularly 
from France is Bruno Le Maire earlier today, who um, suggested that in the wake of the fact that the Russians have opened a new front on the Donbass, that um, it's becoming, I think, increasingly difficult to justify the fact that um, Europe is funding Russia's war Mm. on Ukraine. And ultimately, Germany will have to make a decision as to whether or not it's ethical, I think, to continue to fund Putin's war machine. I mean, at the moment, I think Italy is hiding behind Germany. It does. It also gets quite a good deal of its energy from Russia. But uh, I think pressure is rising for um, an embargo to come sooner rather than later. And ultimately, if that does happen, that could push the German economy into a much deeper recession um, than it already, I think, it's already in. Because mm. the economy contracted in the fourth quarter of last year, it's likely to contract again this quarter. So what essentially does that mean for um, Q2 and Q3 and for the rest of this year? Yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because it's only about three, four, five years ago since we were. you couldn't pick up a, an economist or a new scientist or, dare I say, an FT without being told that the Germans have got it right. And yet here we are a few years later and you see all of those warnings that were ignored when it came to their connections with Russia all you know, coming to the fore and, and when, you know, without getting too much into politics, mm. you know, when people reassess Angela Merkel's legacy, I think that, you know, it's going to look very different than it might have done when she stepped down as chancellor at the back end of last year in the, in the aftermath of, of what we've seen in the Ukraine. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think we can look back to the Fukushima disaster mm. in Japan for the foundations of the mistakes in German and probably more broadly European energy policy, placing all your eggs in one basket and really pushing to one side the arguments for nuclear, which you can argue is much safer. It's not without risk. Absolutely no one is disputing that. But it's much safer um, than it was, say, for example, 20 or 30 years ago it was a mistake of epic proportions. And ultimately, I think when we look back at Merkel's legacy, it will certainly look an awful lot different than was the case, you know, as recently as a year ago. Yeah, well, I, I don't think I, many people would disagree with that. The interesting thing, of course, will be to see, and again, go down a little bit of a rabbit hole, to see whether the new Chancellor Olaf Scholz actually follows through with some of the things that he's been talking about, the very strong rhetoric, because as you say, there does already seem to be a bit of backsliding on the speed by which they're pushing for further sanctions and the fact that they are still, I say, funding you know, through the energy market, a pretty grim war. Yeah, I think he has to go down that route because I think public opinion in Germany is really starting to shift. Um, you saw those demonstrations in Berlin, you know, how much does a litre of blood cost mm. relative to a litre of fuel? You know, and I think it's, you know, it's very easy for us to sit here, you and I, sit here and talk about the fact that Germany needs to do this. But Germany is reluctant to impose the very same costs that it imposed on countries like Greece, Spain, Italy, and Ireland at the height of the sovereign debt crisis, but yet it's not prepared to lead Europe when it comes to a trade-off between funding a war on its doorstep, um, you know, at a time when, you know, Europeans 
are, are essentially dying at the hands of a Russian, of a Russia who appears to have no qualms about bombing civilians. Yeah, it does seem that we're moving to that that new phase. I guess what we're seeing is bits and pieces out of the the Russian playbook in in Syria. Um, mm. Let's change gear relatively significantly. I think it's fair to say um, sure. we talked right at the start of this about consumer spending in the UK, obviously influencing those forecasts. We've got retail sales at the uh, retail sale figures at the end of this week uh, in the UK. Those are for March. It's been a bit of a bit of a roller coaster, I suppose. Spending rebounded quite significantly in January, um, slowed in February. I'm assuming, are you expecting things to look equally challenging in the March numbers? Yeah, I, I, I think that's probably the way of it. I mean, we did see a strong rebound in January, but that was in the aftermath of a 0.4% slowdown in December. So we saw a 1.9% rise at the beginning of this year. In February, we slipped back by 03 If we look back at the British Retail Consortium, retail sales numbers there for March show that like-for-like sales declined 0.4. So we're already seeing signs that consumers are already starting to hold back their spending. There was a piece um, in the FT this morning that um, streaming subscribers in the UK had been cut back by around mm. about one and a half million, um, which suggests to me that people are becoming much more discerning about consumer discretionary spending, if you like. And if you look mm. at all the options there are, you've got Britbox. You've got um, Apple TV Plus, you've got Disney Plus, you've got Amazon Prime. Uh, obviously, you've got Netflix, and they're releasing the numbers later tonight. So mm. I think it'll be very interesting to see whether or not we see a significant slowdown in subscriber growth going forward, given some of the price rises that we've been seeing from companies like, say, for example, Sky, who raised prices by 8% starting in April. Yeah, I, I got my Netflix price hike email this morning. Um, you write results out after the bell um, in the States this evening, I suppose just very briefly on, on Netflix. The, the likelihood is that we'll still see subscriber growth, but it is, as you say, it's that challenge of, you know, where that subscriber growth is, are investors going to ever really see the profitability that, Perhaps they might have expected two, three years ago. Who's to say? Um, why don't we leave it there? We've certainly taken a bit of a tour around um, global politics as well as markets. Um, always a pleasure. Michael, we'll speak to you again in a fortnight, I'm sure. Cheers, Andy. Brilliant. That was Michael Hewson, uh, Chief Markets Analyst at CMC Markets, one of the nominees for our Analyst of the Year category at the City M Awards coming up next week. So if I have a sore throat on Friday next week, you'll know why. That's all from us for today, though. We'll see you again tomorrow.